This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladinsami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Good morning and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. We are delighted to host Bernie Marcus, co-founder of the Home Depot, on America's Roundtable today. Bernie launched Home Depot at the age of 49 after being fired for the first time. Being fired enabled him to start the company he had envisioned long ago to encourage people to do it yourself. Bernie retired as chairman of Home Depot in 2002. Bernie is the chairman of the Marcus Foundation, which has gifted more than $2 billion for medical research and facilities, military veterans, Israel, autism, and community enhancement. Bernie is an author of an inspiring must-read book titled Kick Up Some Dust, Lessons on Thinking Big, Giving Back, and Doing It Yourself. Bernie is 93 years old and has been married to his wife, Billy, for almost 50 years. Bernie is a strong supporter of capitalism, free enterprise system, democracy, and America. And without further ado, we extend our warm welcome to Bernie Marcus. Good morning and welcome, Bernie. Welcome to America's Roundtable, Bernie. Good morning, Natasha and Joe. Good to be with you this morning. Bernie, Joel and I just completed reading your inspiring book, Kick Up Some Dust, Lessons on Thinking Big, Giving Back, and Doing It Yourself. Bernie, what made you write this inspiring and a must-read book? Happy to tell my story. And uh, the reason I made, I, I wrote this book, uh, Kick Up Some Dust, was really to tell the story of capitalism and try to defend it in a world where we're seeing a, this country pulled more to socialism than's ever done, been done before, this story couldn't have happened without capitalism. If you look at it, my history of starting up in a tenement in Newark, New Jersey, poor as hell, Russian immigrants who spoke no English, barely making it economically, and going through my life where I wanted to be a doctor originally. And I really, at the age of 14, I knew all the organs in the body. And I would have made a great doctor, by the way. I could have been something had I stayed in medicine. But I went through uh, Rutgers. I did a pre-med. And when it came time to get into medical school, I was faced with this disastrous thing that the medical schools had a 10% of applicants were allowed to be Jewish. In other words, if you didn't qualify with money, you could never get into medical school. By the way, we're back to where we were 
I, I, I didn't think I'd ever see this again. Mm. But medical schools today have the same thing. You find very few Jewish students in medical schools because they are not allowed in. They got a, uh, a quota system. And, of course, they have it for uh, Orientals as well. And um, America has turned around. But the story is is really my story of how I continued, uh, even after being turned down for medical school. I remember I quit school. I went and lived in Florida for a year on my own and came back. Uh, my parents were firm on the fact that I had to have a college education. Uh, we come from a Jewish family, and you had to be a lawyer or a doctor or something like that in order to be successful. So I I came back trying to pick between dental school and pharmacy school, and I picked pharmacy because I could live at home. I started my career in pharmacy and got some sense of retail. This was like the beginning of my retail life. Ended up owning a store uh, with a partner and having discount stores around New York area. And that led me to two guys. If you've heard of that company, two guys. Right, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, great retailers, forerunners of the discount store business. And I worked for Herbie Hofstrin, who was the top guy in, in retailing as far as I'm concerned, and learned all of my retailing from him. And I spent quite a few years there, rose up the ladder, started in the pharmacy area and, and the cosmetic area, and ended up running all the hard goods in the area. I, before I was 30 years old, I was running a business of about two or three billion dollars and learned everything on the job. Then through a lot of machinations and that's what the book is, is all about. I ended up running, uh, handy dance stores, handy Dan home improvement in California. So I ended up from New Jersey to California. And boy, was I happy to get the hell out of New Jersey. <laughs> I made up my mind to go to California one day. It was freezing. It was snowy. I was cleaning my windshield and a car came by and an icy snow went down my back. And I said, I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> and I said, the next offer I get to go to California or some warm place, I'm taking it. And this opportunity came up to run Handy Dan in California, which was a forerunner, uh, the uh, home improvement centers, but small stores. And we ran that. I started it out, and we ran it up to a very successful company. And Bernie, you are the embodiment of the American dream. Your parents fled Russia and Ukraine, and you were growing up as a child, as you said, in a poor family in Newark, New Jersey. And then at the age of 49, when you were unemployed and broke, you launched the Home Depot, which became the largest home improvement retail company in the world. You created an entire industry and gave away $2 billion through philanthropy. Now, you touched 
earlier, you touched on socialism. So what would you say when you look back at that environment for entrepreneurs, businesses and investors in America since 1978 when you launched Home Depot and those conditions and principles that made the American dream possible, how would you compare it to the environment today? Are we moving away from the American dream's principle of equality of opportunity to a socialism's creed of equality of outcome in America today? I, oh, I think it's, it's obviously happening. Uh, we see college students today. Uh, there was a, they did a survey and they showed that 35% of college students today prefer socialism over capitalism. Mm. The very institutions they went to that were built by capitalism. That's right. They're being taught that this is the wrong way, that this is not the way to go. And I think it's uh, sad for America. It's certainly sad for uh, the entrepreneurs of the world that want to succeed. Uh, look, if it hadn't been for capitalism, when we started Home Depot uh, with Arthur Blank and Pat Farrer and Ken Langone, uh, we started with $2 million. I knew we were going to have a national chain. Well, hell, you can't do that with $2 million. Uh, we had four stores we were going to open in the, in Atlanta. You certainly couldn't do it. You'd run out of money sooner or later, and we did. We started to run out of money, and there was an opportunity to open four more stores in Florida, and we needed the money. Where do you go? We went to the capital market. We sold stock in our company, shares in our, our company, and we got enough money to open the four stores in Florida. And so began the story of Home Depot, where today there are 500,000 associates, over 2,200 stores all over the country, in Guam and Hawaii, in Mexico and Canada, and it's had an economic impact on the United States. I will tell you that much. We taught people how to do it themselves. That's right. Mm -hmm. and the part of the theory that we opened, uh, I dreamed this up one day when I was working for Handy Dan. And uh, I remember telling Ken Langone when we opened some stores in Houston, Texas, that eventually a store was going to open to put all these stores out of business including Handy Dan. And he said, share with me. What is that? What, what is that store? And I said, I know about it. And I, I'm the only one that knows about it. And that's the way it's staying. Well, when I got fired from Handy Dan, along with Arthur Blank and Ron Brill, Kenny called me up and I, instead of being, you know, solicitous and saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. Kenny said, You've been hitting the ass with a golden horseshoe. Let's open that store you talked about and let's build that store and I'll raise the money for you. And which is exactly what happened. And so we started in with four stores in Atlanta and they were very successful stores. People had never seen the assortment that they saw there. And there's a, a story about how we didn't have any money. We really were running short of money. And so we 
piled stuff up. We had empty boxes. <laughs> and it looked like we had a lot of merchandise in the place. We had paint cans that were empty, piled to the ceiling, because <laughs> it was cheap to buy paint cans. So we played games what that entrepreneurs play. But people love walking into a warehouse store and having people there that could teach you how to do it yourself. And up until that time, if you had a plumbing problem, if you had a leak in your toilet, you would have to call a plumber. It would end up costing you a couple of hundred dollars. Well, the truth of the matter is you could solve it yourself for about five bucks. And we taught people how to do it themselves, how to do simple plumbing things, simple electrical things, simple carpentry. And we put classes on in our store and we taught both men and women how to, because we found out that women were more involved than the men <laughs> in doing it themselves in the houses. And we started this whole craze and it was a craze. And we changed the economic lives of a lot of people because so many people from that day on started to fix up their own home. And then they went into business, fixing up other homes. And they would do it in conjunction with Home Depot. They'd come into Home Depot and say, I'm stymied. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. And we had plumbers and electricians and carpenters. I mean, professional people on staff. And we would walk them through whatever the situation was. And we built this do-it-yourself world, which began at the Home Depot. It's become probably the backbone of, of Home Depot. And Bernie, from the very young age, you watched your mom putting aside coins for the needy. Although you lived in poverty, your mother firmly believed and practiced the Jewish concept of tzedakah, which means to give back. It is considered a mitzvah, a good deed, right. to give someone who has less than you have. And from your book, Kick Up Some Dust, I quote, My mother taught me to be generous. She believed that the more you give, the more you get. When I asked about the few coins that went into the pushke box each week, she would reply, God is good. Maybe this week he will give us a little extra money so I can put in a little more. Unquote. Uh, Bernie, could you kindly share with us about how the two concepts in the Jewish tradition, Tikkun Olam, repair the world, and Tzedakah, which is giving to others, and your mom's charity shaped your life? Well, this, this became my life. You know, when you do this year after year, and you begin to believe in it, and my mother convinced me this was the right thing to do. And so tzedakah became part of my life. I didn't know when I made the transfer over, but I always knew that no matter how much money I was going to make, I was going to share with other people. And of course, my wife, Billy, and I, at one point, I remember sitting on Mulholland Drive in California just before we got married. And I said to her, you know, you're never going to get diamond rings from me. I would rather do a cleft palate for a child than give you a diamond ring. And she said, I love the concept and I buy into it. And so our life was 
giving back, both of us, giving back to people that didn't have it. And I really didn't start the professional giving it back until I left Home Depot in 2002 and set up the Marcus Foundation along with a staff of people. But I was involved with every single thing that we did. And we did some very important things uh, with charity. Bernie, through your principal endeavors and your leadership, you've committed your time to reignite in America greater interest and engagement in the field of philanthropy. And Andrew Carnegie once said, it is more difficult to give money away intelligently than to earn it in the first place. And you have mentioned in your great book, Kick Up Some Dust, and I quote, Entrepreneurs make the best philanthropists because they have built something and are not afraid to dream big and get their hands dirty. Do it yourself is their mantra. As long as they are running companies and worthy causes, we'll do just fine. That is the joy of free enterprise. But the minute we get a bunch of bureaucrats or Harvard Business School graduates who have never created anything or taken any significant and risks, things start to fall apart. In your book, you explain the significance of entrepreneurial philanthropy. And Bernie, could you share with our listeners and those who are entrepreneurs, business leaders, or part of a team, the concept of entrepreneurialism and how we can actually recharge the current models in place today? Well, when you think about it, entrepreneurs recreated the world. You look at Bill Gates. You look at some of the great things that have happened, you know, with electric cars, things that we never imagined 50 years ago happening, but they happened because of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs saw a need and found an answer for it. And what I say in this book is that we need entrepreneurs in philanthropy because they'll see the need and they will develop something. I'll give you an example. Uh, autism. Uh, we started the Marcus Autism Center about 40 years ago. There was no such thing as autism. Nobody knew what the hell it was. We saw these children and, and I had a woman work for me who had a child who was screaming from morning till night. Nobody knew whether the child was in pain or not. And there was no doctor that knew how to treat that child. So I got interested in that area. And we started what started then as it wasn't the Marcus Autism Center because autism wasn't a defined disease. And eventually we discovered that what they were suffering from was autism. One out of 38 boys has it. One out of 58 children born. Think about those numbers. One out of 38, one out of 58 are born today with autism and nobody knew about it. And so we started the Marcus Autism Center in Atlanta. And over the years, we've become the largest provider of help to these people by a multiple of eight. And out of it has come research I started something called Autism Speaks, which was a telling the American people about what autism was. And that became very successful. And all of a sudden, everybody knew what autism was. All these children that were hidden in closets suddenly came out of the closets. 
And we developed research all over the country and all over the world that, that started on how to control this disease. Uh, today, we are still leaders, the Marcus Autism Center, after all these years, and only an entrepreneur should have started it. I'm not a doctor, remember. I'm a retailer. I sell hammers and saws. What the hell do I know about medicine, about autism? But it was something that piqued my intellectual curiosity. And I said, somebody's got to do something about it. This is serious. And we searched out for people that could help us. We had some success and some failure at the beginning, but then it took off. And today it's a science. And out of this has come uh, stem cell treatments for autistic children. We started that. We haven't stopped. In other words, I'm still involved. I'm still involved. And the Marcus Foundation is very involved financially and also in in a uh, comparative way of helping them make decisions. So today we have a an instrument, a device, where we'll be able to pick up, it's before the FDA, the FDA's already approved it, that by the age of two months or three months, we could ter- determine that a child has autism. Now, that's a miracle. Mm. Knowing that at two or three months, right. you can, especially today, when typically a typical autistic kid isn't actually found to have autism until maybe four or five years of age. By then, it's too late. Change them. Mm. But at two or three months, you could change them. And possibly, possibly you can't cure them, but you certainly can change their lifestyle. That's amazing. So that they could end up at one point going to regular schools, controlling their habits, their problems, their issues. They have all kinds of issues. Uh, they have issues with their body how to, you know, go to the bathroom and eating disorders. And they have all kinds of issues. And this is a way of getting them early on, finding out about it and and showing them that there's an answer for it. And this was done by entrepreneurs. Right, right. So I'm saying to everybody out there, if you're an entrepreneur and you have some money, or if you're an entrepreneur and I don't care if you have money, by the way, when I started this 40 years ago, I didn't have any money. Oh. Home Depot just started. I had no money, but we scraped together some money and we found a way of doing it. So you can change the world right. by using your skills, your entrepreneurial skills. You know, another one that we did was uh, the Avalon mm. Action Network. It would shock you. It would shock your people that are listening to this program to know that there is no treatment anywhere, no protocol for traumatic brain injury. That's a concussion. Hmm. And we found that many soldiers, Marines, sailors coming back from the wars were committing suicide at a very high rate anywhere from 20 to 30 a day. This is happening right now, 20 to 30 a day committing suicide. Mm. Nobody talks about it. Mm. You ever hear a politician talk about it? They don't talk about it because there's no answer to it. 
we came up with an answer. We started it at Denver, University of Denver, a protocol on how to treat traumatic brain injury that is fairly successful. We could take people, put them back into their way of life. If they come back from the war before they commit suicide, if we can get them, we can stop the suicide and, and help them get back to a, a normal life for their families, their kids, their wives, their mothers and fathers. I mean, it's, it's been a journey and it's a very important one. In addition to that, we, we discovered that the traumatic brain injury, which is suffered by so many people, firemen, policemen, uh, there's also nothing out there. We, we found an organization called Bouldercrest that handles this on an eight day basis, only eight days. Traumatic brain injury actually takes three weeks, but Boulder Crest is an eight day trip and the results are remarkable mm. where people who are can't deal with light, can't deal with sound, don't have the patience to keep a job. We've now taught them that there's a way of life and that they can grow out of this and they do. And uh, it's become very successful. The problem is we've done this all on the cover. Mm. We're taking care of 2,000 people last year, and we don't have enough places for them to go. So my goal, and by the way, my, my partner, Arthur Blank, who started the Home Depot with me, he went his own way. He, he owns the Falcons, the football team. He owns the soccer team. Uh, he has gotten very interested in this area, has become my partner again. So we're partners again. Right. After all these years, uh, we're working together on this, and we're both very serious about it, and we we are making an impact, and um, we have a good board. Uh, we will go public with it when we have enough hospitals around the country mm. and enough facilities to handle post-traumatic stress, but of course there's also the problem of addiction. So we're taking care of people with addiction first because what happens is they go to the VA and they put them on opioids and of course they become addicted and you can't deal with it. When they're addicted, you can't get them to the next step. So we have to get them off the drugs and then get them into these programs. It's probably the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. This concludes part one of our timely conversation with Bernie Marcus, first aired on America's Roundtable Radio with 65 radio stations. Bernie Marcus is the co-founder of The Home Depot and chairman of the Marcus Foundation, which has gifted more than $2 billion for medical research and facilities, military veterans, Israel, autism, and community enhancement. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. 
Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lan Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. 